I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're looking just at the first three verses of this passage. I debated on going beyond that as it starts to get into the parables, though I thought it would be best to to keep these as a a separate sermon. And so this will be a a brief passage we'll look at. Um, But hopefully the Lord will encourage us from this text. Jesus has just finished attending a feast at Simon the Pharisee's house. You remember there was a a prostitute who had entered the room and served Jesus as if she herself were the host. She kissed his feet and washed them with a mixture of her own tears and ointment. And now here in this brief passage, Luke provides us with a description of his traveling companions those who went along with Jesus, not only the 12, but also Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and then many others who were with him, many women who gathered around to serve them. And so we'll be considering this group this afternoon. So before we read this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text, for the reminder it is to us of those who served alongside our Lord, who were with him, who were witnessing all that he did and said, and who continued to proclaim that even after his death and resurrection, who were really unable to be quiet about it. They were so transformed by the gospel that all who met them heard its truth. Lord, may, may we be so enthused by your gospel as well that we could not help but speak of it to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So read with me Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, we've mentioned this several times as we've worked our way through Luke, just imagining the blessing that it would have been to minister alongside Jesus, to be there as he's speaking, to see the awe upon the faces of those who heard his words and saw his miracles, to be in awe themselves, um, to witness his, his preaching to the crowds, even his discipling to smaller groups of people hearing the way that, seeing the way he ministered, healing and casting out demons. And most as, as each member of this traveling company had received so much from the Lord that they, they devoted um, their lives and their resources to the furtherance of his kingdom. I said almost because there was one who we know betrays him. But it seems that all of his traveling companions were willing to to give up everything, 
to be with him, to follow him. And I think there's something about that. The right response to the Lord's healing is to grow in our love for him and our desire to serve him. And that's going to look different, right, for each one of us. We have different callings upon our lives, different ministries that we would be a part of, different vocations. But are we serving the Lord? Are we growing in our love for him because of what he's done for us? So it certainly applies to the list of names in this passage. And yet all of us who have believed in Jesus have been blessed by the presence of the Spirit of Christ. We minister alongside him even now. He intercedes in his flesh on our behalf before his Father. So he, in fact, engages with us in our ministry. So that what is said of this company really could be said of the church today. So as we reflect upon these characters, we don't know much about them, but what is listed here. And and yet we'll spend some time considering what it does say about them. And as we do, let us not forget the tremendous privilege that we ourselves have received. that, That as we reflect upon their ministry, that we would be reminded of the privilege we have of serving Christ together. So we begin with this first verse, with the 12. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom to God, and the 12 were with him, as they always were. And I would challenge you to spend time thinking about these individuals. Reflect upon them. Try to memorize the 12 names, children, this week. Um, You can find them just a few chapters back in chapter 6, 14 through 16. We, We read Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So in this first verse, we also see Jesus' earnest. It says, soon afterwards, so he's left the home of Simon the Pharisee, and soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news. This, this three years of ministry, he, just, he is tire, tirelessly proclaiming the good news, working miracles, casting out demons. And he's earnest in pursuing his mission, and the 12 joined in, and all of these individuals come from various backgrounds. Um, The gospel belongs to people from high as well as low economic and social positions. There's no class of people that's left unreached by the gospel. In fact, we see it in the gospels, how, how... The palaces were reached, and we'll see that here um, in the example of Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, someone in in high elite social class. it's, It's the wife of Herod's household manager is now one of Jesus's traveling companions. 
And so this is true of the 12 as well as the women who gathered around Jesus. The first one we come to is Mary Magdalene. It says, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, there has been a tradition, um, possibly derived from Gregory the Great, uh, which suggested that this is the same prostitute that we saw in the previous passage. And so, in fact, if you see artistic portrayals or you look them up of, of Mary Magdalene, oftentimes she's portrayed as being a woman of the city. Um, and yet, it does seem to be a misconception. Uh, Luke doesn't make any connection between the two women in this text. Uh, between Mary Magdalene, the, the forgiven women in the previous passage, we know uh, that she was a woman of the city, as verse 37 of chapter 7 says, who was a sinner. Uh, it says nothing about demonic possession. Right? And then after forgiving her, in fact, it, it says Jesus dismissed her. Go in peace. The implication being that she wasn't going to stay around. She wasn't going to be a traveling companion near him, moving on. But then the very next text, you have the mention of Mary Magdalene. And what do we know of her? We know that she does stay. She comes up several more times in, in the Gospels. And her, the description of her background is that she suffered from seven demons. So on, in her case, there's no, no mention of her being a prostitute. Um, and in every other reference in Scripture, there's no indication that that was what she suffered. What was probably likely was that when, um, during the early church, there was some corruption of views that if you experienced demonic possession, it had to be from some gross sin in your life. And so in order to explain the seven demons, they, they equate her with the woman from the previous passage. But here, as well as every other reference in Scripture, there's no mention of that being the case. So she was simply someone Jesus had healed, and she became a prominent woman among Jesus' followers. And the reason why I say prominent is because she's listed first here. And she's listed in multiple other cases, even where it just says other women. It'll oftentimes say Mary Magdalene's name. So she became a prominent figure in this traveling company. And so let's not pass by her so quickly. She was possessed by seven demons, a significant experience, right? She was probably not someone who had just episodes of demonic possession, but something that characterized her existence, her life. And, uh, she lived her life under the control of demons. And so that's kind of hard for us to imagine today, right? Demonic possession seems so prominent in the New Testament, we read of it multiple times, and then uh, we rarely hear about that today. It seems quite minor, usually, in comparison, even if we do hear about it. And we could even say the same thing about Jesus' healing accounts, which we hear many of in the Gospels, and then today's healing seem quite minor in comparison. And I've said this before, but but it's it's... It's important to, to remember that the miraculous gifts in Scripture 
almost always accompanied or were during a season of divine revelation. Right? It was a, a new step, a progression in redemptive history, a new stage of redemptive history. And so you actually, although it feels like it's so prominent in Scripture, you can actually put them around distinct stages of redemptive covenantal history. And so now that we've been given the complete Scriptures, the complete revelation of God's Word, the need for that miraculous identifier really has become obsolete. So there's several more companions that are mentioned in, the, in verse 3, um, along with Mary Magdalene. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. And then it says many others who provided for them out of their means. So these are referring to women who have joined the traveling company and who are of some means. They have some possessions to share, some abilities to provide service to this traveling company. The fact that Jesus included women among his traveling companions is significant because rabbis refused to teach women. So for Jesus to allow so many women to gather around him was unique and in fact revolutionary among the Jewish people. So in light of that, you can imagine the hardship that these women would have faced uh, as they travel alongside him. Their commitment to Christ exceeded cultural expectations that had been placed upon them. And it tells us why they were so committed to him, why they remained with him, even assuming they were chastised for their role. And it says because of his great mercy towards them, because he had healed them. He had shown grace and mercy to them, and they wanted to be near him. So Daryl Bach notes, texts like this affirming the role of women in a first century culture where they were either seen as property or relegated to an almost invisible role are significant in showing that women play a major role in contributing to the ministry of the church. We don't want to downplay the role that women have played in church history. Really, you can go back to the Old Testament and find significant examples, but Jesus here elevating them despite the, how the culture treated women. You have this list as well, a parallel account in Mark chapter 15. There were also women looking on from a distance, <laughs> this at the end of his life, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. We know some of these were the same women who were there after the resurrection, who went to his tomb. The women are almost universally commended for their faithfulness in the Gospels. Uh, they were there to the end. They, they wept when they saw him taken away. They remain. They're the last ones at the foot of the cross. They're the, ones, the first ones visiting the tomb. So why were they following Jesus? Again, Luke emphasizes their provision for Jesus and the 12 out of their means. Mark says in, in Mark 15, which we just read, that they followed him and ministered to him. They were serving. They were there to provide. 
you might have wondered what, how they did this. How, how did the, the Jesus and his disciples uh, survive these three years of ministry? Well, they were cared for by women such as this, by people who showed them hospitality. And so we're only really given the background of Mary Magdalene and Joanna, but we know that the whole group of them came from places of means. This would have not only allowed them to travel for extended periods of time, but it would have also afforded them the ability to provide for the needs of the company, to, to make the meals for them. Joanna was the wife of Herod's manager, so in addition to having means, she was also one of the social elites, and it seems likely that her response to Jesus was not reciprocated by many in the circle of her peers, including probably her husband, as Calvin speculates. He says that she would have had to overcome the opposition of her husband in order to leave her household and to perform this service for Jesus. And so in the face of much opposition, they choose to serve Christ. And if her commitment and her zeal exemplifies the whole group, then we should honor them for their sacrificial love. And they are examples to all of us. Right? Many in the church disagree over what roles women are allowed to serve within the church. The PCA is no exception to that. The PCA doesn't permit women to serve in the offices of elder or deacon. And it's primarily based upon the qualifications for those offices in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But every church should encourage its members, all of its members, to serve the Lord, to serve one another, regardless of their gender. And I would encourage you to look up the PCA's study committee report on women in ministry from 2017. It affirms a, a complementarian position, this idea that, that we are all equal in value before God, uh, but separate in roles, that God has given distinct roles to men and women. And yet the, the committee report also encourages a robust use of women in ministry to, to recognize their gifts and the way God will use them in your church. Um, and so often the, the modern debate of women in ministry focuses on strictly positions of authority. Right? Do you allow them to hold positions of authority or not? But what was the focus of these women? Why were they so close to Jesus? It wasn't because they wanted to have some promotion in heaven or even on earth that they wanted a, a greater sense of authority. These women genuinely wanted to serve Jesus. And they were not seeking authority. They were content to provide generous care. And so we should ask ourselves that same question, right? Again, we've been given this same privilege of, of ministering alongside Christ, the same privilege these women had. Matthew 25, 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, as you serve one another, you serve Christ. Mark 9, 41, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of 
a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Serving and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is serving Christ. And so this is indeed the privilege we have received. But in the same passages that we just looked at, there's also a warning about those who do not give, those who do not do, those who do not serve. J.C. Ryle notes this. True love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object love. False love will often talk and profess much, but do and give nothing. And so the generosity with which we serve one another exemplifies the love we have for our Lord and Savior. And so how are you ministering alongside Jesus? How are you contributing your resources to his kingdom work? Again, in conclusion, Daryl Bach points out something that this passage makes quite clear, that those who enter the community are not spectators to ministry. They don't come and just listen and let the pastor do all the work. Rather, they use their gifts and resources in service to Jesus. And all of that is in response. Once again, it's not to earn favor. It's not to earn positions of authority. It's not to be praised by men. It's in response, being filled with gratitude for what Jesus has done already. And so the right response to the Lord's healing is to grow in our love for him and our desire to serve him. And let's allow this example of these women to encourage and to inspire us to do the same for the body of Christ in our time and place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for...